music is a form of expression It's how I express myself If it comes from the heart you can never go wrong If it comes from the heart you can never go wrong You're listening to High January by Marker Starling. This is A Thousand Songs, Episode 9, Live. And here's Jim Shadow. Why did I think it was 10? Probably because I said it was 10. Anyway, thanks, Lisa. Um, I'm here with my co conspirators, uh, Alan Zweig and Rick Campbell. And um, today we also have a special guest, Alberta Noakes. Hi. And um, I'll be playing uh, Feel Like Going Home uh, by Charlie Rich, which we originally discussed on the Facebook 1000 Songs uh, discussion group back in November 2011. That was song number 510. And uh, let's hear the song now and then we'll talk about it. Lord, I feel like Going home I tried and I failed And I'm tired and weary And everything I done was wrong Feel like going home Lord, I tried to see it through But it was too gifting and um, just just how songs you know come into my life people giving me a record by someone I've never heard of or of course mixtapes um, in this case it was just a, a gift from my friend Kate and um, I was like Charlie Rich like, what the fuck you know um, and um, and it, it, I think it's his best record um, I think every song on the record is really great um, uh, but this one this this just became like a kind of theme song for me almost like this I, I just have a real passion for songs that are about um, 
kind of acceptance, resignation, like, okay, fuck, you know, I gave it a shot. It didn't work out the way I thought. You know, I just kind of feel uh, some some connection to to Rich. The other theme in that that we discussed at the time was, you know, just like when I listen to Charlie Rich's career, there's, there's just like there's a lot of track there, and I don't. It doesn't really bother me, like for someone to give me this song and even the original version of it. And I have to say, his hits behind closed doors and. The most beautiful girl in the world. I actually love those songs now. I kind of wrote them off at the time. They were part of the 1050 Chum flow, so I heard them. Um, but I, but they kind of gave me the heebie-jeebies at the time. I guess when I was a kid. Um, so, so now I find, you know, I just have a huge appreciation for all the gifts that Rich has given us, even though it's within a kind of sea of mediocrity. Um, which is not to be, I don't want that to sound dismissive. It's just like, I accept that, that that's, you know. You accept it. I don't know if you would accept it. A sea of mediocrity. I'm just saying, it's easy for you to say that he had a sea of mediocrity. I don't know that. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to dwell on it because uh, um, it's just, you know, this, you know, this, this, this gift just came in the clear and I was like, um, it was a CD. I played the whole CD. I think maybe I'd heard one song on it from a mixtape from uh, Tom Olson, who was one of our prolific contributors back in the day as well. And so I kind of knew that my friends were into this nouveau riche, <laughs> nouveau rich. Um, <laughs> and, uh, um, and it was a time when I was suddenly getting into roots music again of all sorts it was really what was happening on the toronto scene and it's where i when i was kind of coming up for air and listening to um popular music again it was what i gravitated to um and uh so i just this song and i have to say i wanted to use this song as the closing song in my film i drink even though i don't think it has anything to necessarily anything to do with alcoholism although i think rich had his his issues it just sounded like the perfect song to end that film with and then i ended up ending with uh grand parsons um in my heart of darkness which is probably even better but this song would have been a kind of perfect way out of that that movie and that's all i have to say for now i don't have to go next but i i have to say that just because you said about your movie I think I'm going to license this for my next film. Wow. Because I'm going to try anyway. Because to me, it sounds like... I'm not saying this is what it's about, but this time when I heard it, I thought, this is, this is a suicide song. Yeah. Like, what this is... Like, it could be, yes, it could be literally. Like, I'm from Toronto. I went down to L.A., I tried to make it, I'm going to go home. And that does happen. Or it could be like, do you know the way to San Jose? Like, I'm, might... I'm going back home. But it could be like green, green grass of home, where the guy's, you know, basically in his, in his, what do you call it, box, coffin. And he's, they're going to lay me neath the green, green grass. 
don't know. To me, he, when he says everything I did was wrong, that is kind of probably half the people who are about to kill themselves say that anyway. But uh, it's not a song that I'd heard in a really long time. But to me, that there's this version particularly, it's that choir, and I, I think it has a kind of, I mean, for me, it had a very redemptive quality, so it did not feel at all like a, I mean, like a suicide song. It felt like somebody who was just like, okay, I did it, I'm here, I'm home, I'm going home. Like it was kind of a recentering kind of thing, as opposed to a kind of well, I'm I'm just bugging out of this. Hmm. I mean, that's what the music sounds like. The music sounds like gospel. Yeah, yeah. but that, yeah, the, 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 I guess I had never looked at like many, 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 many ninety-nine percent of the songs we talk about here. I only look at the full lyrics the day before we're going to record right. So I don't think I'd ever seen everything I did turn to shit, basically. That to me, there's not, I don't see how that's, I mean, it could be redemptive in the sense that uh, everything I did turned to shit. I'm going to go back. My mother is going to make me a nice meal and I'll be home and that'll be great. But it, it, Then I'm going to jump in the river and die. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just want to say in defense of Charlie Rich, Whatever, when I was buying a lot of country at thrift stores, I bought one Charlie Rich record. And the first song with Mohair Sam, which I don't know if he had the hit, but it was so funky. I, when I DJed, I always played that tune. It kind of reminded me of like Tex-Mex or kind of like Sir Doug. That, it was just so great. And so basically, yes, I think that these guys like Charlie Rich, who probably have a thousand well, okay i'll be conservative probably there's 80 records on 10 different labels and he tried to you know tried to do everything you could to be popular and so there'd be a lot of direct but for me that behind closed doors that song comes into my head as often as any song ever like that is such a profound truth. No one knows what goes on behind closed doors. Like, no, you know, like, you know, for me, that reminds me of stories from my childhood told to me by friends from my childhood who knew shit that was going on behind closed doors down the street where I lived in this, you know, heavenly place where everybody was nice like my parents and everything. And then some, you know, my my friend Thea tells me a story about the family across the street and how the kid used to come to the door every Sunday night and ask if he could sleep in the garage because the mother was yelling at him like, yeah. So anyway, I, I just think on, on one hand, Charlie Rich, if all he did was behind closed doors, that would be a gift, but I think he probably did a lot of good stuff, and like most country guys, also a lot of commercial drag. That's probably true. All right. I uh, I remember back when the, both those singles came out. I <clears throat> I actually didn't mind um, 
behind closed doors. I like the melody of it and everything, and I like the sentiment and the lyric. The other one, I just hate it. But I mean, you know, what what year the was that? Nineteen seventy-three. I would I, I would not not be disposed to like Charlie Rich at the age of sixteen, which is not to say that I didn't like. You know, I, I was a fan of Andy Williams and a lot of, you know, what, what do we call it? I don't know, adult pop singers like crooners and stuff, but I just couldn't handle that song. No, but there is something nauseating. But Mohair Sam's a great yeah. song. Uh, the great most song. beautiful girl in the world, that is enough. I wish somebody could analyze for me what is it about that melody that is There's something about the melody that turns me off. Yeah. Because yeah. Yeah. the... You know, the lyrics could be just like any, any old. It's kind of like romantic, a, a watching song. Scotty grow or something. It's yeah. just one of those. There's, yeah. there's a smarm factor in all of that that I just can't get past. Get, get past? I can't. I can't listen to Behind Closed Doors. It's just, it's just dripping with ick for me. But the, you know, and I, and the other one, the most beautiful like girl the in the world. I like Behind Closed Doors. I like the way it goes up at the end. It's kind of in my wheelhouse. Um, what I wanted to say was uh, I played uh, several versions of this song. I played the demo. It's all on YouTube. The, the, the demo, the 1971 demo I played. I, I think I played the version that you chose first. That's not the demo, eh? That's a re-recording? That's the re-recording? Yeah, that's on... Um... There's a demo where at the end of it he says that's it, at the end. Right. That, that's the demo, I guess. Yeah, in the original post, I think. I Which is like, incredible. Like his, I'm just going. This is a demo. Let's do his voice. And uh, <laughs> and then uh, Toronto Mike reference. Yeah. Uh, then there's uh, uh, the later version with the band. Um, and then there's like the, the older version, like you can hear the age in his voice. This other version I played that was much later. I think I played a live version of it. I also found a couple of versions of Mohair Sam to listen to. And he was on the shindig doing some stuff. Um, looking like a young, you know, handsome man, young, handsome. It's, it's also a song that covers well. So I, in, yeah. Just the other day, I just kind of listened to every version I could find. Yeah. And I found of which song? Of is this one? Of uh, Feel Like Going Home? Feel Like Going Home. Yeah, I, found, I played a few covers as well. Yeah. Tom Jones. That I would I, think. The, the I Tom, would Tom Jones, Jones one. I'm just guessing that that's... It's really good. Tom Jones The one do. with Knopfler and Mark Knopfler and Tom Jones is quite good. Uh, it's, I mean, Knopfler's great. He's great. I mean, yeah. it's great that he's there to play a solo. That's great. But Tom Jones, man. The like, one version a, that doesn't exist, that should exist, is Scott Walker. I'm going to say that with every song we talk about today. <laughs> but anyways, yeah, that'd be interesting to hear him do that. But we're going to come back to that. Yeah. Yeah. But, but like, I have, we're, you oh, know, the on refer. I know it's like, is it meta to refer to other podcasts, including ones we've been on? But somebody on Toronto Mike on a kick out to jams. I hate that he says, calls it a jam. But anyway, somebody played Scott Walker, which was completely unknown to him. That was like, me. Oh, it's you, right. And he said it sounded like Neil Diamond. Yeah. <laughs> Reminded him of Neil Diamond. And that was like, you know, like, oh, fuck. That was like an arrow in my heart. Although, okay, I guess if you're standing far enough back, 
Scott Walker, Neil Diamond, David <laughs> Jones of the Partridge family. <laughs> but in a way, there's a similar, like when I think about these guys were making a living and they're putting out records. Yeah. And, and you never, like, so in a, he had a similar, like, like uh, Charlie Rich put out way more records. Uh, but there is that kind of element of you never know where it's going to land. You yeah. Know? Just kind of. Yeah. You just keep writing. You just keep yeah. writing. It's, it's, uh, it's such a soulful voice, such a great voice, and he's such a great piano player. Yes. He's so good. So uh, there was some kind of, uh, uh, I don't know, some kind of festival thing in one of the clips I watched where he just came out and played a couple of couple of songs. I don't know whether you guys have seen that no. one. It's just like they go, here he is, Charlie Rich. And he does, uh, I think he does Mohair Sam and he does this, I think. And then he's gone. He's like, so I think it's one of those things. Where, and now we're going to bring out whoever. Right. Merle Oberon's going to do some <gasps> Charlie Rich. for you. He should have had a Rick Rubin record, Charlie Rich. Yeah. And it's funny. I'm only say, saying that because my girlfriend made, you know, she took a chance to buy me a little Christmas present of music. Like, you know, it takes guts to buy somebody records. And she gave me this thing that I'd never seen, Sutras, which was when Donovan got the Rick Rubin treatment. Mm. I had no idea. And then I also, I guess, missed that Neil Diamond got the mm -hmm. Rick yeah, Rubin treatment. I don't know. The, the, the Donovan one is okay, although the tunes are not so amazing, so it doesn't really matter that the approach is interesting. Anyway, that's the second Reference to Neil Diamond. I think I'll switch my song to Solitary Man. <laughs> <laughs> well, Johnny Cash's Solitary Man, Rick yeah. Rubin. There's the anyway. full circle. Should we move on to Tawny Keene? Okay. So, wow, we're we're we're. This all feels so formal. <laughs> like it's all scripted, and we're all. I, I had never. We're, we're just getting better at it. And, we're getting better at no, it. No, I don't know. Anyway, so I, I um, when I I heard Jim on Toronto Mike talking about songs, and it for the you know many hundredth time, it made me. It reminded me that Jim often has a very clear biographical connection for each song he chose, chooses. He off, he, it's like he can say, here are the, he can make a list of the hundred songs and movies that made him who he is. And maybe that just how he looks at things and I just don't look at things that way. Or maybe that's true, it did make him. And there's also a list for me but I don't know that list. But anyway, it just, it just, it made me, when I heard Jim by himself doing that, it made me think about what are we doing here collectively and how is our different approach. And it also reminded me that it's not easy to talk about song. Like it's not, it's a weird choice to try and keep talking about songs. But in the midst of that, Somebody told me about a, a book, a new book by Jeff Tweedy, in which he's 
talking about songs. And I, I, I just, I got a Kindle for Christmas, so I got the book. And then, so in the, in the introduction, he's talking about that he already wrote two books. He wrote a biography and he wrote a book about writing songs. But then he says this, which kind of reminds me of what we're doing, kind of reminds me of Jim. This book is the one I probably would have written first if I were more ambitious, and if I had been a little more clear-eyed about what I care most for in this world, and what I've thought about the most by far, other people's songs, and how much they have taught me about how to be human, how to think about myself and others, and how deeply personal and universally vast the experience of listening to almost anything with intent and openness can be. And most importantly, how songs absorb and enhance our own experience and store our memories. I thought that was kind of an amazing thing to read in the midst of this. Anyway, go ahead. But I was just going to say, um, when I was asked to be on the show, I, it just really made me listen to songs in a way that I hadn't listened to songs for a long time. You know, we're not just as background music, but thinking about, well, oh, you know, what do I like? What would I like to hear now? And just went through so much music that I hadn't listened to in a really long time. And songs are that thing, just that was so beautifully said. There's something that they're, they just go into you in a way that you, that that orchestral music, for example, doesn't do. There's something about the human voice, there's something about the way that it connects with you, that it makes you feel. And I was kind of interested as well when um, I had heard from you, Jim, and you said, you know, okay, so think of a song, think of a song that you'd like to, to talk about. And then I saw the songs that you guys brought up and I thought, well, I don't know these songs. And I never heard of Tom Keene, and thank you for that, because I really enjoyed this song, which no doubt we'll hear in a moment. Um, but there's an interesting kind of feeling about all of them, although they're very different songs. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, for me, the thing is, I participated in Jim's Facebook group because it was a way to talk about music, but left my own devices. I don't think about, I don't think about song, if I were gonna say music that affected me or that changed me or something like, like last night I watched a movie adaptation of On the Road from 2012. Yeah, okay, I was 17 when I read On the Road, I think I can, say that that affected me, that's a yeah. clear thing. But otherwise, if you said like, what 60s song, I, you know, I don't know, I would just be naming songs I like. I couldn't say that Satisfaction had more of an effect than Down on the Boondocks, like I really don't know. But anyway, it's interesting, for me, it's an interesting way to look at music. It's, yep. It gives us a, a way in to talk about things, but it's not, um, yeah, anyway, I think it's a hard thing to do. I think it's hard it's to talk hard about songs. To talk about songs. I think that for me, I know I think way too much about how you're trying to do something more than how you're doing something. 
Like, Do, but, but for me, this podcast is about us trying to talk about songs in a way more than it is about talking about songs. <laughs> but I think, are we, are we talking? Are we talking about talking? I think in some ways, in the, while we were doing this, it became clear that, that Rick and Alan could have done a thousand LPs um, more easily than I could have. Right. Like right. I, I was, I was really a 45s guy and I had, I loved my LPs. Um, but that's how I, that's how I thought. And, and so a lot of our discussion ended up being about the actual LPs that the songs ended up on, which, uh, which was also delightful. Like it was a great part of the conversation. Yeah. You're making me remember that of course the time in my life that I most thought about individual songs was the intense period of, I don't know, 1985 to 2000, when I think, I believe I made more mixtapes than any human has ever made for various reasons, including unrequited love and things. And of course, at that time, I thought about individual songs. But even then, I think I thought about the tape as an entirety that I made, like I made a record using those individual songs but of course, I can think about songs. Of course, I can. And I think the three but of us all felt that way about our mixtapes in a way that, that we made the most. Yeah. yeah. Well, no, 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 no. Not I, the I most. definitely didn't make the most. But, but no, but uh, that they had their own. Then the tape becomes a uh, something that yeah, transcends the song. I remember when I when yeah. I was making when I was making vinyl, I was I interviewed these people that didn't belong in the film, but I wanted them in the film. So I had this section where I had people come to to look at my record collection. And I, I was like a very prescient, a very wise moment from Bruce McDonald when I said something about, you know, that I wasn't really proud of all the mixtapes I made. And he said, yeah, that's only because Now Magazine doesn't have a weekly feature Alan's mixtape this week. Because if it did, yes, you'd be fucking proud of them. But, <laughs> But you're ashamed of them because you made a hundred for a girl who never looked at you. Anyway, um, before I, you go ahead, the mixtapes that I made, of course, the uh, the ones that I made the most of were the the uh, what I call the acid tapes that my brother and I made and traded back over like twenty twenty five years and are now doing on Spotify again. Only what we're doing now is. I think we talked about this when he was on, that he chooses a song, I choose a song, he chooses a song. I'm about to, because I have a cassette player for the first time oh. in I don't know how long, many, many years, I have a, a great cassette player. I'm going to make a bonafide acid tape uh, with all the songs that Spotify doesn't have or Apple Music doesn't have that I get frustrated that, you know, I don't have these songs. So I'm, I'm going to make Somebody one. just offered me... A good one. There's thirty dollars for a cassette thing, and I might get, take it just to play the old cassettes. Yeah, I can give you one for free. Oh yeah, yeah. The, half of the cassette. I have to say, the reason I say that I made more than anybody else is because I may have made. There may have been other sad sack men making as many mixtapes for <laughs> women as I did, but I also had this extra thing, which was that I started buying easy listening records at Goodwill stores. And at one point I had like 3,000 because they were so cheap. Like right. 
at in Hamilton you could buy fifty for five dollars. So so, and many of them had one good track. You know, like you have a Lawrence Welk record because he does the theme from SWAT. But <laughs> but otherwise, you don't you know you don't want the Lawrence Welk record. So the only way to listen to those songs was to make mixtapes. Yeah. So I, that's why I had thousands of them. Anyway. I, I think it's time. To talk uh, about no, Tommy? No, 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 no. I think it's time for me to make a really shocking confession, no doubt. I hope you'll all be all right at the end of this. I've never made a mixtape. No, that's well, right. that's okay. You don't have I know it. lots of people that never made them. Yeah, lots. Of, yeah, definitely. My girlfriend. I don't even know if she would know what it is. <laughs> I know, I, I know in principle how they work, oh. but they seem to be a, a bunny hole that a lot of guys really like. Yeah, well, because they because they're also they're they're obsessive. I mean, I used to try pretty successfully usually to get the last song end and then click like no dead air like yeah, and yeah. then I made was covers and I made but in. Uh, not in my exhibition, I am here that I featured a woman yeah. who was obsessed with making mixtapes, and she made a mixtape manifesto and drove across Canada and went to every independent record store, dropping off her manifesto and her mixtape and all that. And she was too young to be part of that generation, but kind of discovered it. Like she grew up with her father making tapes, and then that just became her like a huge part of her life. So it's not just a, a guy thing, although I think that high fidelity. In, in some ways made it look like a guy thing. Right? Yeah, possibly. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think. I'm, I just can't remember. But I'm sure there was... There, I, I, I do remember one uh, woman I knew in Vancouver who made mixtapes. Well, but, let's uh, not make it a woman thing. Let's just yeah, say yeah. it's an Alberta thing. She, <laughs> she didn't make... Okay, now I am going to transition. <laughs> Tommy. So the weird thing about Tommy Keen is that when I decided to talk about him, it was because I thought... I thought he died this year because there was a flurry of talk about him at some point, or maybe I'm just crazy. Because when I looked, he died in 2017, so I don't know what, what the hell I was thinking. And then I looked every musician that died this year to be like, who made me think of Tommy Keen? So I don't know. Uh, I don't know why Tommy Keen came into my head, but, but uh, part of the thing is, you know, I don't know, it's episode nine, I guess I've chosen six songs. You know, I, at first, I thought, I'm just going to choose them randomly, just what comes into my head. Then, so, then when I saw Rick occasionally would choose them, like, thematically to match what Jim had chosen, I was like, oh, that makes sense. And then I tried that, and then, I don't know, now, I, now I'm just like, no, I can't, yeah, I have to do it randomly. I have to have no reason, because I'm not really capable of having some, you know... Uh, I've come to the same decision. Yeah. <laughs> oh, good. Okay, so anyway, um, this song... Okay, one thing about Tommy Keene, when you say you've never heard of him, is that if you look up an article about Tommy Keene, probably half of them, including one I found, <clears throat> will say he should have been bigger. That's what people say about him. Why wasn't he bigger? He's not even as well-known as Marshall Crenshaw, who you could compare him to, or mm -hmm. any number of other power pop guys from the 80s. Um, he should have been bigger. And uh, anyway, this is 
the weird thing about having said that the song has no thematic connection, actually, I feel like going home and places that are gone are pretty connected. But anyway, go. You can play the song. First time it came out was on an EP, but the call places that are gone, and that's the version we played. But the version I knew was record called uh, "Songs from the Film," and it didn't have that weird whatever that was. Anyway, I uh, love the thing at the beginning. I'm not saying that, that. I'm just saying that when it first came on, I didn't recognize that it was that song that's until I remembered that I would recently heard. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I actually prefer original. this version, but I had the same reaction. I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, anyway. Um, the, the, um, the, I think the thing that uh, connects, I'd say, to the other episodes we've had, or my you know, diatribe in my is, um, is uh, that, yeah, that I'm always talking about lyrics, and, and that often until somebody says they're going to do the song, I don't think I know the lyrics, and then I look at the lyrics and I'm like, oh, I didn't know it was about that. I think the thing that's cool about this song for me and lyrics is, I don't know, I, I looked at the lyrics, I still don't know what it's about. I think that, <laughs> I mean, it sounds to it. I think it's about places that are gone. That's all, like, I just think, I don't even quite understand the lyric. These are places that are gone. Um, 
back before you knew, well, I understand back before you knew me well, I was trapped inside a shell. I think I know what that means. But um, the other one is, he says something like, there's a place that's gone, good thing. Now I, we can go on and on. No, but he's, he says, I'm just glad I never wanted to stay. So that it's like, there's a place from the past. It's okay. I never wanted to stay anyway. That, that I probably, when I heard the song, I more thought <coughs> it was wistful. These are places that are gone. But when you say these are places that are gone and I don't want to stay there, good th that could be sarcastic. That could be like, I didn't want to stay there anyway. Or it could be gener generally, I don't want to stay. Anyway, everything I'm saying now, I realize is very connected to, I feel like going home. But like, also, this one to me has a much more positive, like a more clearly positive thing because he says, and now we can just go on and on. So it's left behind and he can go on and on. It's funny how you can just see such different things right. out of the same lyric, depending on how you listen or where you are. Well, power pop to me always feels optimistic somehow. Yeah. You know, just the, the sound of it, you know. Um, I mean, he, yeah. I, yeah. I mean, what I could have picked his cover of. Lou Reed, Kill Your Sons, that's another popular Tommy <laughs> Keene song that I just But this is, this is our, you know, we come back to the lyric discussion, and I think I talked about it here. Um, my, one of my favorite power pop songs is Girl, Girl of My Dreams by Bram Tchaikovsky. And then one day I kind of clued in. It's like he's talking about a sex doll, and that's okay, but I'm not really into the song anymore, you know. Um, I don't really want it to be about a sex doll, you know. Um, like I, I want it to be a little bit more naive somehow, um, but that's. But I, anyways, I, whatever the song is about, I just love the sound, you know. But just uh, looking, <clears throat> I'm sorry, Andrea. No, go ahead. Just looking at the lyrics is kind of a. It's a victory song. It's like this yeah. couple has survived some shit. Yeah. And now they can go on and on because he says, "I'm almost glad that we never wanted to stay." Yeah. Because these are places that are gone. Now we can go on and on. Back before you knew me, I was trapped inside a shell. Yeah, it's funny, you, you know, know what? You know what it's making me think of? I, I can't make the connection, but, you know, one thing when I was watching On the Road, the movie yesterday, I thought, definitely, my girlfriend's in Australia, but and I've been making a list of everything I've watched while she's away, and then I say whether I'm going to tell her to watch it or not, and 99%, no, no, no way, too violent, too this, too Reacher. You know, so far, there's only one film I've watched that I thought she what is like. It? It's, it's called Saltburn. But, oh. uh, but, but anyway, On the Road, one thing I have to say about On the Road is, I don't know if it's fair to call it deeply misogynistic, but it's kind of, uh, definitely the women are, are overtly treated as disposable and somehow yeah I don't know places that are gone reminds me of on the road like there's you know Denver and San Francisco and things like that like <clears throat> places they went when they were on the road and now yeah they're you know or even for myself like India would be a place that's gone like I was there, I got there, like Christmas Eve, 
last Christmas Eve was fifty years <coughs> fifty years ago that we you know, were in India on the hippie trail drove into India. Anyway, I just like that it was. To me, I, I don't know. I can't ever separate the lyrics from the from the music itself and for me that sort of poppy thing in the way that you were just recapping the lyrics there the things just go so happily together that you you know it just for me was this great kind of positive moving on kind of thing yeah when i first uh <clears throat> was listening to the song i couldn't make out the lyrics which is what happened <clears throat> we're all clearing our throats um I, I couldn't make out the lyrics, which is what happens whenever I listen to a power pop song. I'm going, <laughs> well, he is. And then I, then, but, um, uh, and, and I think he's being pretty clear. Like I caught most of it, but you know, uh, I was, I just was going to say like, whenever somebody goes, we're going to do a jangly guitar thing. I go, <laughs> yes, this is so great. Listen, listen to the jangly guitars. And that's all I'm thinking about. And his voice and the melody of the song, and I'm going, "Oh, this is so good," because I'm not familiar with Tommy King. Yeah. So, uh, uh, so I go like, "Wow, this is such a great song." I wonder, <laughs> wonder what it's about, you know? And I'll find out what it's about later. That's how I usually listen to songs from this era, and how I listened back then too. And, and then, of course, you invent, as you've said in previous shows, that that we make up our own words. And then you go, oh, he's not saying, uh, let's run away to Amsterdam. <laughs> he's saying, what a way to waste a day uh, in, in uh, a, a recent song that I chose. And I go like, oh, okay, well, that's too bad. Let's run away to Amsterdam is so much better. Especially anyway. if you're running away with a sex doll. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> How appropriate anyway, somehow. I just love that. I just love that song. But I like, my brother and I both have this thing that, a younger brother about oh jangly guitars I'm in yeah you know, <laughs> yeah no. I think the reason Tommy Keen wasn't more successful is <clears throat> because of, unlike other power pop I think he always buried his vocals under like the guitars seem mixed way too loud mm. to me anyway I mean I yeah I had two Tommy Keen records in the period of the eighties when I really needed certain music to like restore my faith in music and the shit out of Tommy King, but I'm not surprised you never heard of it. Mm. But, it was great. But That's thank great. you. Well, I was glad to get hear it. To him now. Yeah. That's for sure. Now that he's dead. No. <laughs> now that he's dead and no cat. Anyway, okay. Now we so, can stop. We can move on. Okay. So should we segue to? I put. It's funny. In my notes here. I put Greg Campbell. Oh. Let's oh, go well, let's get him on the phone. <laughs> It'll be a from a musical, whatever he chooses. Um, or it'll be the Partridge family. So over the right. Uh, right up your street. Um, yeah, Wichita lineman. Uh, it's funny how I chose my song this time because I didn't have one. And I, I was thinking the same as Alan about why, why am I choosing songs that somehow connect or why am I choosing songs in a kind of a spontaneous manner? Rather than going, well, you know, screw the all, screw Scott Walker. Let's talk about the birds or something. You know, let's talk about like I want to hear what these guys have to say about Janis Joplin. You know, for good or ill, let's get into talking about some of these people, because you know it's been Burt Bacharach. A lot of it has been, you know, 
not what you would think that someone of our age would talk about on a podcast about music because of my own experience of listening to podcasts. So the reason that I chose Wichita Lineman, though, is because Jerry Mosby, uh, a great uh, a Toronto musician, chose to play on his acoustic guitar a version of Wichita Lineman when he's on vacation and put it on the Facebook. And I just thought he sang, he's got a baritone, not unlike Scott Walker. I mean, if you listen to the Jerry Mosby version, that's because it's a, he's got a baritone voice or he sings it as a baritone. It's very Walkerish that mm -hmm. version of it, or you know other baritone singers that I can think of, Leo Kotke. But um, anyway, I just went, oh, that's the song, that's the song. I don't remember what uh, Jimmy Webb song you chose. I guess it was MacArthur Park. I think there were a few Jimmy Webb songs in a, in yeah. a thousand songs, but yeah. we did. Talk I think this about, was in it. Well, yeah, we did talk about Wichita Lineman, whether it was a... And uh, anyway, let's, uh, let's uh, roll it. Everybody knows this song I know. Let's play it. I am a lineman for the county and I drive the main road Searching in the sun for another overload I hear you singing in the wire I can hear you through the wine And the Wichita lineman is still on the line I know I need a small vacation But it don't look like rain And if it snows that stretch down south won't ever I need you more than want you And I want you for all time And the Wichita lineman Is still on the line Um, okay, I, I'm just going to say a couple things about this song. It's in my top ten songs of all time. Mm -hmm. Like if I had to make a top ten list, this song would be definitely down. So that's another reason I chose it. Um, it's such a beautiful song. Um, in fact, goes without saying. Um, the first thing I want to say is that Glenn Campbell came to Toronto when he was doing his I've Got Alzheimer's, uh, I'm going to have to stop doing this soon. And I think when he got to Toronto, he was in better shape uh, than later on the tour 
which you see in that film that was made about that tour. You're talking about at the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, was there. I yeah, I know you were there. We were there together, as a matter of fact. Mm -hmm. Alan and I were, went together. It was like Glenn Campbell's playing down at the concert bowl for free. It was like a no-brainer. So we went down. Um, uh, I think he played two sets. I, I can't remember. But uh, when he played Wichita Lineman, uh, Alan and I were sort of standing a bit, a bit towards the back on the grass. But when he went and played Wichita Lineman, uh, Glenn Campbell, not Alan, uh, I ran into the aisle and I tore down the aisle and it was like, I, there's not going to be any security going to stop me at a Glenn Campbell concert. And sure enough, it was a very relaxed thing. There was no security down there. I got right down to the front and then I knelt down in the aisle and I looked up and I watched him sing and play this song. It was a very special moment for me. Did he, uh, I do remember when he started to sing it, and I do remember it was like, oh, I'm glad I'm here. Yeah. But I don't have uniformly pleasant memories of the concert. No. One was because I think he did play the song to the end, but there were yeah, other songs that he like, maybe it was by the time I get the things for Maybe it was Dreams of the Everyday Housewife. But there was other songs that he decided to jam into a medley of songs that I was like, fuck, man. Like, I'd have you're to never gonna play I don't the, remember that. You're never going to play this song. Like, just finish the song. He did and, play um, Where's the Playground, Susie, Susie in its yeah. entirety, which was the moment I was glad I was there. That yeah. was before Wichita. I mean. the, the, the just... Just because I'm already interrupting you, so I'll just finish. Uh, yeah, carry um, on. Carry on, Alan. The thing, that right. I do, the thing that I didn't like was that, of course, he's a great guitar player, mm. but he decided to play guitar solos in way too many songs. Mm. And the solos he played were just masturbatory. Like, they weren't a lot. He was just like, yeah. see how fucking fast I can play. And it's like, yeah, that's impressive in a bluegrass band of flat picking but where's the playground Susie doesn't need yeah but he didn't like, do that no I know but I'm saying he did that a bit he did that on the songs that I mean I, I figure you go to see Glenn Campbell or you go to see Roy Clark you're gonna get that like there's always a part in a Roy Clark gig where he goes okay now I'm gonna show off for 15 minutes about how fast I can play but that this but, uh, this song for Glenn Campbell though I mean it's like a marriage of the perfect song and yeah. the perfect singer. Yeah. And I don't think anybody who heard that song was just not thinking, oh my God, this guy would be this Wichita lineman guy. He is Glenn Campbell. And suddenly there is the sexiest person in the world singing the most beautiful song. And it's yeah. just this kind of searingly fabulous thing. It was just like, I, I couldn't even name another Glenn Campbell song because if somebody says Glenn Campbell, this is just what I hear. Mm. And it's the world's sexiest boyfriend. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. Cowboy, but, um, By the I, time I get to Phoenix. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. That's okay. The, now that, I know that. that Galveston. Yeah. Okay. Okay. 
been on my mind. A lot of Jimmy Webb songs. He did yeah. a lot of Jimmy Webb. Yeah, he did. They songs. had a relationship. They had a great relationship. And then this, I, I assume, was Wrecking Crew, right? And then, or I would of, assume. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, well, the Glenn Campbell was in the Wrecking Crew. You'd think yeah. he would keep use. Yeah. There is a. I can't remember now if it's this song or by the time I get to Phoenix. One of them. They sent it to Glenn, and Jimmy said, I still have to write another verse. But they just recorded the song. And then he came and said, well, I got the other verse. And they said, we're done. Too late. Too late. <laughs> it might have been this one. I have to say, yes. It's, it's, it's funny. This is, I don't know when I had, I had this moment because I was, I, was, I was trying to make a film about MacArthur Park. Mm. That turned out to be a, a very bad decision in a personal way. And anyway, well, I could make a meal of that. But anyway, I, I became um, a giant Jimmy Webb fan at a certain point. And part of it was there's a song on, uh, on a Mel Torme record where it's like 20, I can't remember, some... Rosencrantz Boulevard and something like that. And I was like, this is the craziest fucking song. And then I realized it's a Jimmy Webb song. It's also on, it's on a, a, a Fifth Dimension record, the Magic Garden or something where they do a whole bunch of Jimmy Webb songs. Mm -hmm. Jimmy Webb wrote some, it's like Jimmy Webb wrote the craziest fucking lyrics. Yes, he mm -hmm. did. Uh, squeezed mm -hmm. into uh pretty songs where you might not notice like what the hell is he singing about here even this song like the the the, the guy's up on a pole and he can hear something in the wine it's not in the wine that you drink it's in the w wine of the, the, the wine, wine of the thing yeah. it's like what i don't you know like <clears throat> i don't know i don't even I don't know, like what's I don't this know what I know what it, when I heard even when it said Wichita lineman I think that's just like gibberish when you hear that you don't think oh that's a guy in Wichita up on a phone line on a ladder listening to the whine of the wire well, I don't uh, think when, you, when this song came out I was a kid and I knew what it was about I knew exactly I knew, what it I was I had the picture in my mind yeah. Yeah. but I what, what interested me about player. I'm more like Alan it's all like no, I, yeah. it's, it's a yeah. man with a tool belt climbing up a pole. I know, but I let things be more impressionistic. Yeah, for me, yeah. nine minutes, that meant, usually meant a guy in football. Well, yeah, yeah but in the second, in the second, well, that's, uh, see, I wasn't that into football. Uh, the, the second verse where he talks about the, you know, the storm, it's one of those weird, it's the weird thing about the lyrics to this song for me are the contradictions in the song, which at the time when it came out was led to people talking about the, the mystery of the song in the same way they did Ode to Billy Joe. It was one of those songs where people would, you know, you go, well, no, it means this, and he's talking about that. Like, like even to the point where uh, you go, is he going to die? Is he dying at the end of the song? Does he die? Is that what the... Okay, but, but, but what's the song about? Tell me what the song is about. The song is about, I think, a, a, a lineman, a guy working up a, a, a pole, repairing lines, yeah, like okay, phone but, lines, and that. But it's weird because at one point it's summer, 
and then then he's talking about snowstorms, but and he's also got one of the greatest lines of pop music: "I need you more than want you, and I want you for all time." So I always I assumed he was thinking of his wife or his or his partner, and when he says, "I hear you through the wine," I hear you, you know, I hear you singing through the wires. I'm not sure whether he's saying, I hear all of you. I used to think that he goes, I can hear all of you. I can hear, you know, I can hear you buzzing all your, all your chat, uh, you know, uh, or I can hear you, the woman in the second verse. So yeah, I think he's, I mean, but there's, there's I, I a mysterious quality singing, to the song. He's singing to a woman and he, but when it, the part that I find incredibly, uh, Three, whatever that word, um, two meanings, whatever that word Paradoxical. is. Paradoxical? No, no, like... Uh, Contra Contrary? No, like, what is it when there could be two things? Anyway, it doesn't matter. Yeah, not. Anyway, doesn't matter. when he says it, I can hear you on the... Uh, the Wichita Wineman is still on the wine. Does he mean, even though I'm not at home, I'm still connected to you and I can hear you? Or does he mean... I'm still on the line, meaning I'm always away from home, and this is the only way I can see you. The, the, you know, the funny thing is, like maybe five minutes ago, I understood this verse when he says, "I need a small vacation, but don't look like rain, and if it snows, it stretches down south, won't ever send it." Yeah, like what, what he's what, saying what is, I need a vacation, and if it rained, I would get a vacation, but but it won't, but I won't get a vacation. Because it's going to snow so much that a bunch of wires are going to snap and I'm going to have to keep working. You know what? Like, that is the, you know. That, 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 it fucking amazing. It, it, it is an amazing, it's like one of those when they say um, Teenage Symphonies to God or something. Yeah, like, yeah. Like, that's a whole movie there. I'm surprised they didn't make that movie. Unfortunately, I think they did make Rhinestone Cowboy. One of those, yeah, they did. Like one of those, you know, Glenn Campbell, not a okay, not a good actor. Let's just lay it out right there. And he was in True Grit. True Grit, and he was in was he yeah probably other things that not John some John he I, was I can't he was probably a better actor than Joe Namath, but maybe not hard to do. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, yes, this is it. It, it is speaking. It, it is one of the most beautiful songs ever written, and Glenn Campbell. He is the song. And it's just he weird, it. even that Glenn Campbell had this career, right? The thing but, about Glenn Campbell is that I've I've looked at a lot of live versions of him doing this uh, later in his career, and because there was this ambiguity in the song, where you're got what I when I was a child and I was loved the song, and then later in life whenever I heard it. There was some uh, uh, electro band. I, I think one of the guys from Heaven 17 did a version of it that was a hit on uh, CFNY in the early 80s as well, which sort of reintroduced me to the song. That at the ambiguity at the end is like, is he okay? You know, is he going to be all right? That Campbell, and he did this when we saw him do it, at the end of the song, uh, and I think Jimmy, I read an interview or saw an interview with Jimmy Webb where he goes, yeah, I, I don't know why he did that, but it, it's, he always does it now. 
at the end of the song, he goes, you know, he goes, the Wichita lineman is still on the line, and I'm doing fine. Yeah, oh, and yeah. you and you go like, ah, God, oh, Glenn, <laughs> come on, Glenn, never improvise. Yeah, leave it up to our imaginations, okay? Just right. Like, he felt it was necessary to do that. I know that we're going to talk about MacArthur Park at some point. We are, and um, but the I was, I honest to God, actually do wish there was a Scott Walker version of this. Yes, and I have to say the connection. There is a connection with the Jimmy Webb thing. When I got into Scott Walker, like that actually opened. I was like, maybe these other records are worth listening to. And I had a copy of A Tramp Shining, the Richard Harris, uh, Great and I, you know, where MacArthur Park. And then yeah. I, re I realized, well, there's a you know, this this thing that I made fun of, you know, this yeah. thing that I thought was a joke. This is like, this is where I want to be. Well, you know? that, that thing about uh, Jimmy Webb and MacArthur Park specifically is I remember when uh, Harris's of MacArthur Park, his single of it came out off that album, was that it was like a gift to every middle-aged talk show host of the era. Like everybody was making fun of the, the cake mm -hmm. out in the rain right. line. But I have to tell you, uh, about uh, I guess was this? I think it was after I had COVID, so it was like two or three weeks ago. I um, there was one night where Alisa uh, uh, said, "You know, you haven't played the forty fives in a long time." I said, "Yeah, I haven't." Every once in a while, every year or so, I drag out my my forty fives and her forty fives, and I specifically play her forty fives for her because I like to see her cry. And she gets all emotional about, like, I'll mm -hmm. play the, her bread single. Or, right. <laughs> oh, here's that little river band reminiscing and stuff. And she goes, oh, my God, oh, my God. Crying because she has to. <laughs> because she's, she's having nostalgic. She's reminiscing. Emotion. She's reminiscing. Okay. And, uh, I, I, like, I play Shannon, you know. Shannon, which I think is a thousand song. Uh, no. No? Oh, God, too bad. Maybe it is. Uh, 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 is gonna... that song anyway, and she just loses it anyway. Um, hi, Elisa. She'll never, she'll never anyway, she'll um, never hear this. uh, yeah, she'll never hear this. Uh, this time she had the 45 of Donna Summer doing MacArthur Park. That was number so one for three amazing. Weeks. Yeah, so I put it on for her because I usually skip that one. I put it on and it got to the cake out in the rain and like we we're dancing right in the living room and i got to the cake out in the rain line and she cracked up she just like it's like you can't you you can't quite get past that line it's just like it there's something about the brazenness of going him going and, and he'll never have that recipe again and i don't know i looking don't looking at it and he goes it, it really stays does it really make sense that that lyric is so bad? I don't, not to me. Is it worse than anything else? Well, it's not worse. It's not like, bad. It's not bad in the sense of there are songs written by bad writers yeah. and they can't write good lyrics. It's a question is even within the greatness of his lyric writing, was that, was that a moment when he should have known that there was just something arch about that? Because otherwise... It's yeah. a great he, lyric. He made, he made I a, think. They made I a, love it. They made a cake, brought it to MacArthur, whatever, Park. MacArthur Park, which which somebody took me there when I was in Los Angeles. It rained. The cake is gone. He'll never have that recipe again. It's wistful, 
I don't know why Cake Out in the Rain. I think thought... it's because it falls in the song, in the melody, as a crescendo. And it's those lines that have... I don't ever have the recipe again. It's like the peak Although emotional moment of the song. maybe that's Richard Harris. And that's... Like, maybe if somebody else sang that they could... Well, well Donna, Donna Summer does Donna's... the same thing. I mean, she, yeah. she goes... And she really the, goes, yeah. They had Jimmy Webb on, David Letterman, uh, just before Letterman went off the air, and they had Jimmy Webb on, and uh, the lead guitarist of the Paul Schaefer's band, I can't remember his name, uh, big session guy, Sid. sang it, sang it. Oh, no, that was the Will Lee. Will Lee, yeah. The bass yeah, player. The bass player, thank you. Yeah. Sang it. It was just absolutely brilliant. It was just sensational. When I was in L.A. with my family uh, last year, we went to, I just forgot the name of it, but one of the famous L.A. delis. And uh, it's right near MacArthur Park. And that's why I chose it. Cantor's? Um, not Cantor's. The other one. Uh, <laughs> um, and I, I, we ate so much, but I really wanted to buy a cheesecake <laughs> and go to MacArthur Park, which is across the street. But it's apparently quite dangerous. And uh, no one wanted to do it. Everyone was like too <laughs> full you know strong. You know who took me to MacArthur Park? Mike Cartmel. No. Elliot Lefkoe. Elliot Lefkoe. Oh, my yes. God. Um, the, the, I left a placemat in the rain. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I kept, I left it out there so long that it kind of blew up and got fat. And my girlfriend will still bring that up. Uh-huh. <laughs> Um, Someone's the, left a placemat <laughs> in the rain. You know, I, I looked up on Google the lyrics to Wichita Lime, and then you end up on this Google thing, and it, it comes to, it's almost like burying the lead. What did Bob Dylan say was the best song ever written? Wichita Lime. Wichita Lime, yeah, right. I wrote uh, that recently. Wow. Although with Bob Dylan, there's so many lists of what you think the greatest songs are, which I love about him. Yeah. You know. Um, wow. Great song so far. So uh, over to Alberta. Oh, okay. Are you ready? Sure. Um, so I was just thinking about songs, I don't know, something maybe about the time of year and songs that I really liked. And I was, because you had invited me to be on this, and I thought, oh, well, I'm just listening to all kinds of things that I hadn't listened to in a long time. And I remembered this particular song from an album called For the Stars that... Elvis Costello uh, did with Anne-Sophie von Otter, the opera singer. And there's a lot of um, Scandinavian uh, lyricists and singers on this record as well. And it's just a beautiful, beautiful, it's a beautiful selection of songs. And songs for me are always so deeply about voice, about... And particularly about something that you feel like you can you can sing, but they also, well, when we hear the song, you'll understand what I mean. There's also something about a voice that truly takes you somewhere way out of the ordinary. So I think maybe we'll just listen to the song. It's short, so let's hear the whole thing. Mm-hmm. 
Fine rain was falling on the gravel and glades The last rays of September bejeweled broken blades But there's someone that I long Do you trip on the city's golden gutters and curbs As the seasons grow wild and the ground undisturbed Till you find what you are now is less than Is patience exhausted? Are your pockets picked clean? I was lost in the next world Or somewhere in between And it's much as predicted They go down that same track They say they'll return But they never rays of September bejeweled broken blades Are you still restless or are you sorry As the red earth lies The covering of green 
that a traditional song? Or? No, it's a new song. He, um, Elvis Costello wrote the lyrics, and the other lyricist's name has just gone out of my brain. It's An Anders or Andreas, I can't remember. Oh, Magnus Pearson? Uh, that might be right, but it's a number of these um, wonderful uh, Scandinavian singers and uh, lyricists who were also working on the album. But it's just a, I mean, for me, it's one of those things where you have somebody with this extraordinary voice, and then there's Elvis who has his voice, and somehow the two things that are so different are so beautiful together in that song. And it's just, I don't know, when you guys listen to music, do you sing? Do you sing? Sometimes. Depends. I always sing. Sometimes depends. <laughs> it's just a kind of, and, and there's something about her voice particularly for me that although you have no hope of hitting those notes, there's something that just takes you into it and you, you find yourself going along and then... And then it suddenly just goes somewhere else. But by that time, you're so much in that song in yourself, in your body from it, that it's just this otherworldly kind of experience listening to it. Because it uh, sounds, uh, well, it is basically, it sounds like an Irish or Celtic yeah. ballad. Yeah. I am naturally predisposed to love it yeah so it's just like I, I assume this is because it's in my genes I, it's the same thing with bagpipes where people go I hate bagpipes <laughs> I, go, I love bagpipes yeah. well I it's, yeah. so it's like uh, uh, it, it also uh, it, it's interesting because yeah the juxtaposition of the two different very different voices but at the same time I always like I've always liked Elvis's, uh, shall we call it a ballad voice? Yes. Where he's singing quietly and his vibrato is present. And uh, some of his uh, more beautiful ballads that he wrote himself. And also, he's got that song, I think it's on, is it on Mighty Like a Rose? I can't remember. He's got a song that call, called Broken, mm -hmm. which is basically him singing over a drone. Uh uh, it's one of those like if you kind of rather typical Elvis Costello songs like if you don't love me or you don't come back to me I can't remember it's been a while since I've heard it uh, I am broken is basically mm. the sentiment of the song but it's an Irish yeah he's singing in an Irish kind of cadence as she does yeah she does a little glissando thing yeah. in, the, in the first or the second verse where it lodges it firmly into the kind of Celtic yeah, right. and I mean, I am Irish, so this is my, you yeah. know, this is a music that I, or kind of music that I grew up with, but more, I don't know, for me, it's funny, because I never really thought of it as a Celtic ballad. Yeah, until well, it's, you it's, said it's, it. it's like the first time I but, played it, I just went, oh. But there are, is... there are many things on this that have, I don't know whether it's a, a Celtic or a Northern or whatever it is, but there's a lot of songs on this uh, album that really have that yeah. ballad tradition feeling yeah. and where voices layer in and um they're, I'll have it's, to check it out. it's a beautiful beautiful record yeah. yeah i feel like i shouldn't sully the moment by saying anything <laughs> oh i thought <laughs> oh, oh 
Alex's <laughs> gonna love this. Oh yeah, he's I'm gonna a, love every moment. I'm Irish too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but you're not from Belfast, I'm telling you, because no. I can't hear it, Alan. It's not no. there. Yeah, I don't know. That's just a beautiful song. I was looking up the lyrics on my I've phone, had, but I couldn't find. I've got them. I couldn't I'm find. It's always about the lyrics. Yeah, I'm always well because I just the song, the sound. Is so iconic, if that's the right word. I feel like that song, you could play me 10 other songs and they'd sound exactly the oh, same yeah. to me. They just sound like one of those songs. Really? Hopefully what I'm hearing is her voice. I just, her voice is beautiful. It's also interesting that she's German because I, yeah, I won't go into it, but because I saw a zone of interest. Oh, God. I've been thinking about. German Only people. you could bring up zone of interest well, <laughs> at this moment. Anna Sophie Mutter. You know, no, no, great... it's Anne Sophie von Otter. It's my fault. Otter. I write. I typed it wrong. It's yeah. so she <laughs> is. She's not an Anne Sophie Mutter, the violinist. No, no, nothing to do with. Okay. Oh. Okay. Then. As, <laughs> and as, she's Icelandic. As, as okay. Rosanna Dana would say. Would say. Never mind. Never mind. I will read some of the lyrics, though. Uh, I'm, I must confess, the first time I listened, I was, I, 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 she's singing with great clarity, but I wasn't really listening. I was listening, going, listen to this woman's voice, and then on comes Elvis, and then I tended to listen to the words more. So, fine. These are the words that he wrote. Fine rain was falling on the gra gravel and glades. The last rays of September bejeweled broken blades. But there's someone that I long for, oh, where have you been? As the red earth lies under a covering of green. Do you trip on the city's golden gutters and curbs as the seasons grow wild and the ground undisturbed till you find what you are now is less than you've been as the red earth lies under a covering of green? And it goes on in that same extremely optimistic, up, upbeat, Levis Costello way. That, you um, know, she could have been singing la 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 yeah. la la as far as I'm concerned. Those are just like lyrics that they made up so that she could sing that melody with that voice. I don't think that that's voice. true. That's for me, like whatever, it was a beautiful day and it's that blah blah blah. Listen to my voice and think about It's a song of longing, is it not? We should yeah, call it. It seems to be right like now. that. A song of longing. We should call Elvis right now and just Confirm whether that's yeah. Clear. I don't know. It's anyway, got, a, it's it's got just, a little bit like is patience exhausted? Are your pockets, pockets picked, picked clean? clean? For me, I was lost I'm, in the next world. I don't world mean this as a between. It's I very know it sounds pejorative, but it's it's um, it's characteristically beautiful. It's just like I could listen to yeah, I could listen to Irish people singing ballads. With but you seem you seem so dismissive no, of no, it for I being mean, beautiful. No, it just it just I have no way into it. I'm on the outside of it, enjoying it for what it is. But it's it's impersonal to me. That's I guess. Is, yeah. I, I don't mean that as a criticism. No, but There's I think lots it's of, it's a thing know, about the like, way people listen to songs. Because for me, that's deeply personal. For me, that's something that goes in and just goes okay, just. Pull me apart. That's not really an argument. Like we're, yeah. Like that's that's where we, like Alan's right and you're right. Yeah, I'm, but I'm, I'm saying no, I don't I'm, I'm I don't more, get it. I'm more saying well, I'm more saying 
when we're going to talk about songs, sometimes you'll say, you know, kind of like, that was beautiful. It could have gone on for all day. That could just be playing in my right. head all day long. I could go to sleep with that. At no point would I wonder what they're singing about. I would just assume they're singing about, you know, uh, their mother or so the I feel land. The, so I feel the same way about dying. the blues sometimes. And, yeah. <laughs> no, seriously. Yeah. Like, and, and, well, the blues is like that. It's just we had a little conversation about it on A Thousand Songs. Yeah. It's just some shit to say while you're playing guitar and emoting. And that's why so many of the songs, they just you know, borrow the same lyrics from that guy and just sing it differently. Hmm. And, 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 I, and, and I like it all, but I don't always differentiate. Right. Which doesn't mean that, that one can't and one, you know, that obviously there are, there are times in my life where I haven't felt that way. But, um, yeah. I think, Elvis, I think Elvis is, I think one thing that was going through my head with this was uh, Elvis is... Um, what is the word? Uh, he he's he's a impre- not impresario. What's the word I'm looking for? Eclectic. No, it's like when you he's, he's a just, presenter of. He, there's that. Like so, he's kind of like like he has this you know broad interest in music, but he's also uh, I can't. It's a really normal word. I, I can't think of here. But he's just able to kind of slide into things and 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 do a great job. Mm-hmm. Um, but what's interesting was that he, like a lot of people, you know, from the early new wave, they all did the rock and roll thing, which, yeah. which got me in cause I was 14, 15 years old, but they were all ballad guys. It's kind of like what, you know, yeah. Alan, Alan dismisses Frank Sinatra, the swing guy sometimes right. as the real Frank Sinatra the, the, that we really care about is ballad Frank. And I agree more or less. Yeah. And, but I feel the same way about like Joe Jackson and Elvis Costello and all these, like a lot of people that I was really into, but Elvis gave it away right away with Allison, like on the first record, I think that this is where I'm going to go. Yeah. You know, it's Mm -hmm. funny you should say about Frank Sinatra, because when I was listening to this, I was thinking about like that album, is it We Small Hours of the Morning? Where they're those like really great ballads. And I don't know, it's just a flow of things that come to you while you're, you know, thinking about songs and I was and there's some thing about his voice sometimes that will take you like to the same place that that voice of Anne Sophie von Otters has where it's just this kind of open-throated mm-hmm. flow of something and you're just on it it's amazing I mean the interesting thing for me about that is that when you say whatever it connects to your cultural DNA it definitely has no connection to my cultural DNA, and yet <laughs> I feel the same thing. I just think there's yeah. a something, you know, about that. I don't know where it came from. I don't know if, you know, just because I'm Jewish doesn't mean I didn't hear Christmas songs and I didn't hear Celtic songs yeah. and things like that. And Fairport Convention me, and all that yeah, stuff. Yeah, I'm, yeah, that is weird that I'm amazed how much. English folk I've I listened to even though sometimes when I listen to English folk I am very aware that it's against even again it's almost like 
I know it, this is an exaggeration, but yeah. I was listening. Sometimes I even like, like, you know, I've even met people. It's like, and just the way they talk, I'm like, your dad would have called my dad a dirty Jew. Like, I just, wow. I just like, I'm just saying, like, sometimes I see things and they, I know that would, came out harsher than I meant, but sometimes I just think some, some things seem not just not Jewish, but like violent, the not. opposite of Jewish. But it doesn't matter, like, yeah. There, they there wrote all be, my favorite Christmas songs. There could be a day, I Jews wrote Christmas songs, Great but I'm saying there could be a day where I would hear this and think, yeah. That's That's a choir of anti-Semites that are <gasps> singing now. That's, I know, I'm sorry, I'm being, not, not a, you know, I just like, I can't help it, it's like, it's just, I know I'm making a big leap, but it's like we used to walk, go down University Avenue and look at all the statues of dead soldiers and look for Jewish names. And there weren't any that just we grew up in this very goyish Toronto that was very un-Jewish and everything. If you heard bagpipes, it was kind of like, yeah, sure, that's what they played before they started slaughtering slaughter <laughs> yeah that's that so in spite of German having that in spite of having that reference available in my dna nonetheless i listened to that song that you played and felt like i'm celtic too that like i could see i'm walking along you know uh, foggy glades whatever that means to the fairy mounds with my Irish girlfriend. Or Scandinavian with, girlfriend. Yeah, yeah. But, but yeah, that, it's like, I'm just saying, that's the example of music that has very clear kind of general implication for me, but nothing personal. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. I didn't mean to go there to the... Well, that's no, what no, keeps no, it interesting. No. Yeah, yeah I, I think it's very interesting. Do you really I mean, I just thought of something that Robin Williams said more than once <laughs> was that uh, when he was in Germany, a, a, a German asked him, uh, how come Germans aren't funny, as funny as you? And Robin Williams said, that, well, have you ever thought that you killed all the funny people? Oh. <laughs> well, actually, it, it, yeah. Well, you know, the, the interesting... So, thing about that is, I can't remember who it was. I think it is a modern German person who said, I think I was talking, I was talking to a friend of mine the other day, he made a film about his grandmother, who's German, who grew up in World War Two, and she was there. And he's just interviewing her kind of about a bit about like, what were you thinking when that mm -hmm. was going on and all that. Anyway, so we just started, and because I saw Zone of Interest and whatever, I know that has nothing to do with the song you chose. It's just our conversation has led us there. And he, this guy said, you know, Jews in Germany were Germans. They thought they were Germans. They, they thought they were mostly Germans. That's why they were so shocked when, and that's why some people didn't leave, because they just couldn't yeah. believe it, because they were so, they didn't think of themselves even as, German Jews, they thought of themselves as Germans. And, and, you know, when they started killing the Jews and the gays, 
what they were essentially doing was taking that part of German culture, which was so beautiful, and killing that erasing. part of it, erasing yeah. that part in order to become something pretty analogous to, I think, like MAGA Americans, kind of like. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, anyway, I mean, I don't know why. I'm, it's like Jews was, that German culture and Jewish culture were almost inseparable. Yeah, and, I remember. And they right, wanted right. to, yeah. but they wanted to separate it away. And, yeah, Eric yeah. Lehrer, my friend Eric Lehrer's parents grew up, I grew up, lived in Vienna which is like one of the high cultural cities in Europe. And uh, they loved Vienna. She loved Vienna, mm -hmm. you know, and she ended up in a concentration camp and was lucky to survive, survive the war. So uh, how did we get here? I'm how did we get out of here? I'm, 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 Irish music. Irish music. I tell you. You know what? Come what? back. Never. Why would I? And I won't accuse you of bringing a Nazi song. Well, like I, I feel, I feel like I should close with "Springtime for Hitler." Yeah. Springtime for Hitler and Germany. Okay, well, uh, you, just, you just did. <laughs> now, did. now this, the, if the show's going to get pulled by Mel Brooks. Oh my God! <laughs> but yeah. Anyway, as far as the music is concerned, <laughs> you know. You know, I was just in Barcelona and there was... Uh, it's too bad that you didn't, the last movie you watched wasn't, uh, I don't know, Bambi. Was, this the, was that the last <laughs> no, movie that you watched? watched? No. The last so movie I watched actually was On the Road. Oh, uh, no. Okay. Yeah. But the last one I watched, I went to Zone of Interest in a theater and, I mean, it's... Uh, heavy. It's an, I don't know even if it's that heavy. It's just, it's a, it is a very um, admirable film, like, and also... Have you seen it? No. No. It's, I'm going it's, to. I'm going it's, to. it's very formally interesting. Like it's, it's like there are things that only an experimental filmmaker would do in that film. Anyway. Cool. I will check it out. I was just going to say, I was in Barcelona last week and there was a production of the producers that had opened when we were there. Did you go? No, we were, we were trying to find out, was it actually in Spanish? Or Catalan? It would be. <laughs> you know? It would be, yeah. But still. I know. Well, we... and The songs. So, yeah. So, we, we considered it. And it just I can't happen. believe Meredith didn't drag you. She was... She... That was going to happen. So I went to see Applause, the musical Applause <laughs> in Croatia well? with Elisa. Because we were looking... We, we came across this theater in Zagreb. And we went, oh, a theater. Let's go in. We went in and we looked at the posters and stuff. And this woman came out. And it turned out to be the artistic producer of the theater. And we said, oh, we're actors. And we'll go, oh, well, we're doing a matinee today of applause. Would you like to see it? And I said, sure. She said, come back in about an hour and a half. And so we walked around to grab some more. And then we came back and we sat and watched Applause, uh, which is uh, the musical version of All About Eve. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, in Croatian. <laughs> and so I was have occasionally I'd have to lean over because Elisa had never seen All About Eve or Applause. So I, it was it was great. Dancing was fabulous. And then we went to the party with the actors and the director, who what was an American fun. afterwards. And the woman who played Eve is Cynthia Asperger, who is a major theater artist in Toronto. Oh, yeah, now. she's a friend of mine. Yeah. yeah. I met her 
then, and then I met her again as she came and did some uh, Michael Chekhov work with this ensemble that I was part of. And at the beginning, the person who was coming in to do whatever kind of work with our ensemble had to do a little 10 minute, I came from this. And I was sitting there going, is that grab? Oh, okay. And then at the end of her talk, I went, uh, listen, uh, this is 20 years later, 25 years later. I said, uh, were you, did you do a theater in Zagreb? She said, oh, yes. And I said, were you in applause? And she said, oh, yes, I played Eve, <laughs> what's her name? Eve Harrington in that. And I said, I saw you. And she just looked at me like, how is that possible? World. She said, well, we'll. We'll have to have a drink about that. <laughs> but it was that was the most bizarre thing. So what's our closing thing? song? Our closing song is Feel Like Going Home. And right. um, before that, I'd like to thank Alberta for joining us. Thank you. And, thank you. Um, Sorry. It's fine. <laughs> no, it was great. And I'd like to thank Lisa. You Centenado. might come back, but I'm not coming back. I don't need this. <laughs> I'd like to thank Lisa Centenado, our technical producer and thank social you, media Lisa. manager. Thanks. Just for clear you. No. Uh, I might get us off the air with this, but as much as I just talked about anti-Semitism, I don't believe that anti-Zionism is anti-Semitism. Let's see. Right, just to be clear. <laughs> yes. So you can take that. So now you just lost many listeners. That's okay. 1973 version of the song. Equally good. I don't have a preference. I love them both. So this is Charlie again? Yeah, Charlie. Lord, I feel like going home. I tried and I failed, and I'm tired and weary. Everything I done was wrong. And I feel like going home. You've been listening to the Thousand Songs Podcast with Jim Shedden, Alan Zwag, Rick Campbell, and our special guest for today, Alberta Noakes. But it was too much for me. Songs featured in this episode include Feel Like Going Home by Charlie Rich, the 1992 version. Places That Are Gone by Tommy Keane. Wichita Lineman by Glenn Campbell, the remastered version, 2001. Green Song by Anne-Sophie Von Otter and Elvis Costello. Cloudy skies are closing in I 
And our closing song for this episode is Feel Like Going Home by Charlie Rich, the 1973 version. Now I feel like going home. Follow a thousand songs podcast on Facebook and Instagram. And stay tuned for our next episode, available wherever you get your podcasts. I tried and I failed, and I'm tired and weary. Try